I really don't like um, words like artist or integrity or courage or nobility. I have a kind of distrust of all those words because I don't really know what those words mean. Any more than I really know what such words as democracy or peace or peace-loving or warlike or integration mean. And yet, one's compelled to recognize that all these imprecise words are kind of uh, attempts <clears throat> made by us all to get to something which is real and which lives behind the word. Whether I like it or not, for example, and no matter what I call myself, I suppose the only word for me when the chips are down is that I am an artist. This is the JWN Podcast. This is another solo show, so it's really just me talking to you about what's going on. Um, today's show is going to be a little different than what I've been doing. There's no rules to this, so I can do whatever I like. It's been a tough week. I've been super, super, super busy. Work has hit me on all fronts. This time of year is usually pretty busy. It's that back to school, if it was a normal year. Uh, but something about this time of year when kids head back to school, uh, my businesses all kind of just go crazy. And yeah, so I've been really kind of just not paying attention to what's going on in the world. But when the, the news of something like what has happened um, in Kenosha hit, uh, you know, I just, you, you start to go numb. Um, I, and I don't, I just don't know how to even process it anymore. And then to hear what, what happened in the protests with this friggin', I don't even want to say his name, uh, a 17 year old person, uh, goes and shoots protesters, kills two of them, injures another one. Or probably more. I don't even know all the details. I won't watch the videos. I can't unsee those videos. I can't. I can't stomach them. I can't deal with it. There's certain things. If I, you know, when I saw the video of Walter Scott getting shot in the back, that was a turning point for me in my life. I watched it too many times because I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it, even though people have been telling us for years, black people have been telling us for years that there is this huge problem where there's this violence that doesn't exist against any other race that is being perpetrated against the black race, you know, black people. I don't want to call them a race. They're just black people. We're all one race, right? Oh, all lives matter, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's still... Um, I just don't know how to handle it. I, I don't want to talk about the specific thing too much right now, even though we should say their names. We should say Jacob Blake. We should say his name. 
He miraculously didn't die, but he's paralyzed, shot seven times in the back. You know, the details of what happened are so shady and so sketchy. Uh, but but what it comes down to is that there's nothing that he had done that warranted getting shot seven times in the back. There's just nothing. There's nothing out there. doesn't matter if he friggin' did awful atrocities. It doesn't warrant being shot 17, seven, uh, seven times in the back. It's just not, it's not right. So as all this is breaking and there's this kind of weird show going on, yeah, and I'll admit, I'm not watching the the conventions, either conventions. I didn't watch uh, the Democratic convention. I'm not watching this Republican kind of fake convention either. Um, I'm going to give them a lot of leeway since it is a pandemic. And, and you would think, oh, they're doing the right thing. But then I see these images of them having this convention in front of crowds of people that aren't being safe on the people's house, the White House, which is not a place to be holding political rallies or things of this nature. I'll give it, I'll give it leeway. I'm like, you know what? It's weird times, whatever. But the fact remains, like, they did invite these two wannabe vigilantes that were waving guns at Black Lives Matter protesters as guest speakers. And then what was it, like, the day after that or two days? I don't even know the timeline, but I know it was right after these people are being showcased. This 17-year-old kid is inspired to go and shoot protesters. We're in a serious, 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 like, we're in a serious dark time in our history. Uh, so I've been keeping busy regardless. Got to push through and do what, do what you do, right? You got to work. You got to pay those bills. Um, but somebody posted a quote from, from James Baldwin on uh, Instagram, an artist who, uh, who I follow on Instagram, at NadyArt, N-A-D-Y-A-R-T. She posted um, you know, a picture of, a, of, a, of a, a man, and she put this quote underneath it, and it's, uh, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. And I kind of just, it, it, you ever like hear a song that makes you just friggin' freeze or maybe even read a poem or passage in a book, something that just kind of like stops you in your tracks and you have to stop and think about it. And I read that line over and over and over again because it connects to creativity and art in a major way. Because the reason why we're all doing this thing called art, uh, whether it's creating music or taking a photograph or whatever it is that you do, uh, it's to connect with other people. And uh, I stumbled upon another James Baldwin quote. I'm going to play it for you right now. Uh, Before I get into it, I have spent most of the day, I I did a bunch of photos. I took some photos this morning and then I spent my whole day editing photos. And this, the whole day I've been listening to nothing but James Baldwin's speeches, um, debates, 
um, him fielding questions that seem silly, but you're like, people are still asking these same questions now. And this was in like the sixties or in the eighties or in the seventies. Like you feel like, Hey, we've been told about this problem forever and nobody's changing. Nobody's listening. But hey, check out this check out this passage here because it, it does relate to um, pain and and uh, and art and connections. Everybody's hurt. What is important? What bullwhips you? What corrals you? What drives you? Torments you? Is that you must find some way of using this to connect you with everyone else alive because it's all you have to do it with. You must understand that your pain is trivial except insofar as you can use it to connect with other people's pain and insofar as you can do that with your pain, you can be released from it and then hopefully it works the other way around too. Insofar as I can tell you what it is like to suffer, perhaps I can help you to suffer less. I mean, yeah. Guy gets it on all fronts. Uh, most of the stuff I've been listening to, he, you know, he 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 gets on to talking about, you know, the what he believes uh, should be solutions or the problems uh, facing Black Americans. It's amazing to listen to some of the language that's used right to his face during some of these debates and conferences, and he's so. I mean, he, he's a tough guy, but he's like unwavering, you know, he, he, he does, there's a love in him and there's also a strength, but yeah, he just gets the whole creativity thing. I mean, we all just, we want to get through this painful existence, uh, a little less pained and by connecting with each other, yeah, we can maybe alleviate some of the pain by knowing the struggle of other people and knowing that you're not alone, that we're all in this together. I feel this, this sadness that we're in a time where we're about to make this, this major decision for the future of our country. And Every time that there's an election, it feels like the stakes have gone up higher and higher and higher in my adult life. But I don't think anything compares to what's going on now. And the scariest thing is, you know, there's a good chance that we might be facing the end of our democracy. Because I don't think that the current administration is playing fair and I don't think they're going to go away regardless of any election results. I don't know if we can trust the election. I don't know. I, I just, I'm so scared that this guy is taking his cues from a guy, you know, from Vladimir Putin, who is basically just dictating how long he wants to be in office for. And if you don't like it, he'll just make sure you get suicided. You know, this, this is, this is the mentor of our current president. I'm sorry if I listen, 
I do apologize. I, I don't want this to be a political podcast. I really don't. I, I want to be as inclusive as possible. But what's going on right now is just alarming. We have a lack of leadership. Or maybe there is a leadership, but it's it's inspiring some dark activity. We know that the, the cop thing is, a, is, a, is, is an issue. We know that there needs to be a lot of work put, in, put into our policing system to make sure that we get rid of the bad cops. We just have to get rid of them. We cannot stand for it. We can't protect them. And we got to get rid of the systems that do protect them. Uh, it's going to be messy. It's hard. I don't know the exact solutions, but I don't think not doing anything is working considering that this continues to happen. But what really scares me is, is this vigilante thing that's going on. You know, we, we have a situation right now where people are trying to egg on a race war. And it ain't black people. It's white people wearing, like, friggin' Hawaiian shirts and carrying tiki tor torches. Like, what the hell is going on? This is like a badly scripted comedy of how can you find the dumbest people in the world and have them do evil shit. But here we are. Here we are. I'm going to play a lot of James Baldwin clips because that's what's on my mind, man. This is how I'm dealing with this. Instead of getting too far into the weeds of, of what has just specifically happened this week, I thought maybe I, I would just continue to go down this rabbit hole of this fantastic author, poet, speaker, and see what I can learn uh, from him on all fronts uh, as a creator, as a, a, a leader, as somebody with a perspective that I can only learn about through his words. It is time, for example, for one example, to recognize that the major effort of our country until today, and I'm talking about Washington all the way down to whoever heads the Women's Temperance Union, is not to change a situation but to seem to have done it. It is spectacular, for example, to have been forced ultimately to bring in the entire, whatever it was, militia, U.S. Marshals to get James Meredith into school, and from a certain point of view, which I do not at all share, I can see that one can say no other country would have done it. It's escaped everybody's notice that no other country would have had to. So, you know, this is uh, the first few clips I've played are from The Struggle, um, which was released on vinyl in 1969. But yeah, the idea that we that we as a people collectively in this country have pretended to fix a problem that is unique to us that shouldn't have been a problem in the first place. It, it's just crazy. Um, 
and to to understand that like okay how much of your history is accurate what's what's been left out how many people listening to this podcast right now and thank you if you're still listening cuz this is I'm going to try to keep this uplifting, but still, it's a rough subject. Um, how many people learned about the Tulsa Massacre because they watched The Watchmen? I'm raising my hand right now. I had no idea that it was what it was. Yesterday, I was with a client of mine. I can tell you his name. Uh, he, you might know who he is. Frank Abagnale, he was uh, the basis of Catch Me If You Can, the, the Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks movie. Um, he wrote that book. Um, he lived that life. That's him. Uh, anyway, it's not important. But what I did talk to him about, we got into a conversation about, you know, just current events. And, you know, he lived a large, large part of his life in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I said, hey, did you know? And he said, you know, whenever you ask people about it there, they referred to it as the Tulsa riots. Not the Tulsa massacre, the Tulsa riots. It, it, it's, uh, that's, that's the American way. Let's put a, a name on something and change the meaning. And it, you know, for a lot of white America, it took pop culture. It took a, a work of art. And, and, a, and let's face it, it something that's like, a, I, I hate to say this in a demeaning way, but it's a comic book movie, or not even a movie. It's, it was a TV se a limited series. It took something like that to wake people up to like, hey, wait, did this really happen? Holy shit. Holy shit. Who knew that there was a black Wall Street? <laughs> and who knew that those people were killed just for being successful? I mean, that's really what it was about. And that's what a lot of it is, is about. And from what I'm learning from listening to a lot of what James Baldwin has to say. The problem with race in this country is that white people expect, according to James Baldwin, that white people expect black people to assimilate, to be like them, where the black community just wants to be left the fuck alone. And they want to be able to thrive and have their freedom. They want their freedom. They you know, People want their freedom. They want what's promised as the contract of America to its people through our Constitution. But they want to be able to do it on their own terms as far as they don't want to play by white America's rules. They want to just, they want to play by the rules, but they want to do it on their own terms. And, and it makes a lot of sense. And when they did do that, we massacred them. We massacred them. I might be saying this in the most basic terms, but let's face it, that's really what it was at the heart of it, you know? 
Yeah, it's a tough one. That's a tough one. Let's let's just, let's listen to another one. In fact, I, I don't think anything in, you know in the uh, in the black ferment of the black revolution really involves revenge or, or, or is vindictive at all. You know, it is the white imagination, the guilty white imagination, which makes which makes this out of it, and is this is this which paralyzes us in all our social activities. You know, it's the reason why no one does anything about the labor unions, you know, the schools, the, the situation of the people in the ghetto, nothing about the police who are a very real menace to every black cat alive in this country. And no matter how many people say, you know, you're being paranoid when you talk about police brutality, I, I know what I'm talking about. I survived those streets, those precinct basements, and I know, and every black cat in this country knows what the policeman is really like, and furthermore, I'll tell you this, I know what he was like when I was really helpless, how many, how many beatings I got. And I know what happens now because I'm not really helpless, but I know, too, but if he doesn't, if I haven't got the presence of mind, you know, to do whatever I have to do, he doesn't know that this is Jimmy Baldwin and not just some other nigger. He's gonna blow my head off just like he blows off all the other, everybody else's head. And this is done with the will of the state. And it can, like, this cannot be overstated. Mm -hmm. It can happen to my mother in the morning, to my sister, to my brother. It's only now beginning to be born on you since it's happening to your heroes. What has happened all these years to us? For me, this has always been a violent country. That was from the Dick Cavett show in 1969. Um, again, 1969, we have a prominent black artist telling us what's going on and nobody believed. I mean, in my heart, I didn't want to believe. It wasn't until I saw that Walter Scott video happened in North Charleston, South Carolina. I could drive there in 15 minutes where, where he was murdered. Yeah, and, and this thing has been going on all along. And it, it took cameras on your cell phone for people to, to believe it. And that's a shame. That's a shame. And, and it, it, we owe it as a people to go back. Uh, don't, don't let, don't wait for someone to tell you now uh, what's going on. The material's here. You can get on YouTube just like I did and listen to all of these things. And there's more than that. It's more than just that, but it's just, it's shocking to hear it, to hear the cries for help and still think that there are people today who don't think there's a problem. There are people now who think that just because they have a family member who's a police officer, who's a good cop, that there's not a problem. I have a family member who's a police officer, who's fantastic. He's a great cop. But that doesn't mean shit. There's still a problem. And it needs to be fixed. And you think that my uh, relative that is a police officer, you'd like to think if he was in the situation where he was one of the cops standing around watching 
a man get shot in the back seven times, that he would jump in and stop it or, or do something about it. But the fact is, none of them can. And none of them will. None of them have. None of them will. And that's the truth. Until we make a change where we force them to be responsible. We force them to be accountable. I don't know the answers. I just don't know the answers. But I'm, I'm learning. I'm listening. And, and yeah, the, the, it's, it's so angering to know that people have been fighting for this for so long. And we're still, we still haven't gotten where we need to be. Have we come far? I mean, I guess. But why should we have to come far? We should have just fucking fixed it. We should have dealt with this. It's, but is it, is it that fear of dealing with the pain? Is, does it go back to the founding of this country? One of the things that James Baldwin was talking about in one of his talks is that, you know, white Europeans didn't come here for some noble reason. They came here because they couldn't make it in England or in Spain or any other part of Europe. And the way that they got ahead was free labor. But on the way to getting there, they annihilated the indigenous people here. You know, this, this country is founded on genocide. And until we deal with that pain, until we understand that we're all participating in a um, democracy that was founded on lies, on blood, and until we realize that and, and deal with it, uh, we'll never get over it and we'll continue to cause more pain. It's kind of like when you tell a lie, right? And in order to keep that lie going, you keep lying more and it snowballs. And I feel like that's where we are that's where our soul is as, as, a, as a country. But it's not hopeless because guess what? This is still a great country. It's still filled with great people. I don't hate America. I mean, one of the quotes uh, from James Baldwin, I've, listen, I'm going to name this like the James Baldwin episode. Um, here, here's a quote. I love America more than any other country in this world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. Let me say that again to make sure I get the emphasis right. I love America more than any other country in this world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. The most American thing you can do, the most American thing you can do, is exercise your First Amendment. That's, that's the freedom of speech. It's the most important thing. It's, the mo it's number one. It's your freedom of speech. And part of that freedom of speech is the ability to criticize our government. Our, we have a government set up with checks and balances so that no one person can get out of control and, and take this country in a place where it shouldn't be. It should be a representation 
government. It should represent the people. The government should be the people. It, it shouldn't be the other way around. The government shouldn't be telling us what to do. We should be telling the government what to do. That's great. And in a lot of cases, we've made that work. In a lot of other cases, we've got a long way to go. But please don't mistake like this anger and this pain that I am expressing and that I'm sharing with you as hatred towards my country. Oh, no, 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 no. Quite the opposite. Let's listen to another clip. I think, I really think that, though it may sound a little strange, I think that the hardest thing for any human being to do is to forgive somebody they know they're wrong. So that white people live with a guilt. White people, white people live in generality, as far as I can tell, live with a nightmare, the nigger they've invented. Mm. They have to have the nigger to justify the crime. Mm. Do you think... So they don't see the person. Do you think that people ever get rid of prejudices? Do you think they just let them... It is not them... a matter of prejudice. It is a matter of cowardice. It is easy to blame the nigger or the Arab or the Jew or the dyke, or the faggot, anyone who isn't you. Mm. You don't want to see that you could be that person, that in some way you are that person. Political racial prejudice is the most, as a matter of the most abject cowardice. <sighs> My God. I mean... I, I don't even know. I mean, that was that that interview. I believe was done uh, the year he died. Yeah, that was that was in February of 1987, and and then uh, he died uh, months later. Um, still, you know, he spent his whole life with this just with his point of view that is so beautiful and horrifying <laughs> in its honesty. Um, but yeah, it goes back to that pain. Like when people say, oh, you got white guilt and they, they kind of throw it at you like it's some sort of insult. Um, but the truth is, yeah, no, we have a white guilt and I think it's up to us to deal with it, not to put it on other people, not to put it on the downtrodden um, and to just, uh, and to come to grips with it. You know, white privilege is something we have and whether or not you believe it or not is unimportant because you have it if you're white. You know, the fact that you can get pulled over by a cop and just wonder the following. What did I do? Oh, I was speeding or, oh, I made an illegal turn or, or something along that I cut somebody off. Oh man, I hope I get off with a warning. I wonder what the, I hope I don't get any points on my license. I bet if I show up to the courthouse and I talk nice to the guy, he'll probably just drop, you know, 
the charges low enough, it'll just be, you know, a, a fine and it won't be a big deal. I mean, that's the thought process that goes through my head when I get pulled over. I don't get pulled over often. I'm not bragging, but I try to drive. I try to drive well. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to get pulled over. But it happens sometimes. Once in a while, you might pull a, a, a shitty move uh, and you get caught. So that's the thought that goes through my head. If you're a black person, you have a whole different set of thoughts. Uh, one of them being, is this how I die? I mean, if you're a white person and you get pulled over and you're thinking, is this how I die? You must have a weird history of doing things <laughs> because I don't know anyone uh, who's white that thinks that when they get pulled over. Uh, yeah. That's just one example though. That's, that's one of those outwardly obvious examples. Um, you, you know, there's all of those types of examples that are easy to explain, but then there's the, the examples that we live with that we, the, the dangerous ones are the opportunities that are, that we don't even know we've been given because it's so much harder to recognize that. And how do you check your privilege when you don't even know that you're benefiting from it at a given moment or during a certain situation? And yeah, that, that, that's part of the learning process that we're all going through, hopefully, as a country. Hopefully, we are learning. Hopefully, hopefully we're seeing and we're listening. And let's, let's listen a little bit more. This is a little bit more from that same interview. It was uh, from a show called Mavis on Four, Mavis Nicholson. Everybody knows, for example, if you listen, every writer knows. If you listen to me or I listen to you, no matter what, I'm no matter what I may be describing, I'm describing myself. There's a prejudice that at one time was against homosexuals. At one time? Yeah, hold on. Mm -hmm. When it was a criminal offense, even. Mm -hmm. Then that's got removed. The law. And people started to appear mm -hmm. to accept. Mm -hmm. Back, it comes again now because of AIDS. It never went anywhere. It never went anywhere. People's attitudes don't change because the law changes. I, I know that. And the homosexual question is like, it's like, it's like what we call the racial question. Nobody, no man and no woman is precisely what they think they are. Love hmm. is where you find it. And you don't know where you don't know where it will carry you, and it is a terrifying thing. Love it is the only human possibility, but it's terrifying. And a man can fall in love with a man, a woman can fall in love with a woman. There's nothing nothing anybody can do about it. It's not in the province of the law. Hmm. There's nothing you do with the church. Hmm. And if you lie about that, if you lie about that, you lie about everything. Hmm. And no one has a right to try to tell another human being whom he or she can or should love. Nobody has the right to tell someone else who they should love. Um, yeah. I mean, to think that 
you know, this, this guy has been so in touch with, uh, with the, the idea of what's right. <laughs> um, it makes you wonder, you know, he, he has that, by the way, he has that, he, that idea. Um, and when he was a younger man, he was a preacher. We're not talking about like some free love tree hugging hippie guy who's, you know, social justice warrior type these days. He's speaking from the heart. He's just a guy who understands um, matters of the heart and that it's not up to us to, uh, it's not up to us to, to, to pass judgment like that. And that he can recognize that even when the laws change to say, you know, to give people the rights they deserved to begin with, those prejudices don't go away because people are afraid to face their pain. What are we so afraid of? And it's pain. Nobody wants to feel that pain. But maybe, um, maybe that will be the benefit of 2020. Because we're all going through a lot of pain. Whether it's financial pain, whether it's loss of a loved one because 180,000 Americans have died. A lot of them didn't have to. But it is what it is. I mean, I don't even know how, how to grasp where we are as a country. But I am hopeful that we're going to go somewhere better. And I'm hopeful that we're all going to take this opportunity, this, this big pause and maybe look past the circus that's going on in front of us in our political system um, on both sides too. I mean, there, there are things that I'm nervous about because the people that we're bringing in, hopefully that we want to bring in, or I shouldn't say we want to, the people that I want to win this election are only marginally better you know, it, it, it really just represents a denial of what was going on. But the one thing that, that our current president has demonstrated to us, at least to me, he's exposed things that have um, been allowed to go on. We're outraged because he, he's so blatant and disgusting about it. But he's been getting along. He's, you know, people like him have been doing this kind of shit since the beginning. Um, he's just really bad at hiding it. <laughs> this is... Uh, Here's another clip from James um, from the National Press Club, a speech he gave in 1986. Because this is a racist country, 
And every institution in this country is a racist institution. And the very last thing the Republic really wants is an autonomous black community. Anywhere. Everybody knows, for example, that if you build a school in a ghetto, you built a disaster factory. And the answer to that is not to bust the child to another neighborhood. The answer to that is to rebuild a city so that human beings can live in the city. Cities are not supposed to be built for money and to make a few people rich. Now, if we want to deal with that, we've got to go there. In the meantime, there's no point in blaming the black community for being upset about the community, because the community has always been at war with the republic. When we tried before, some time ago, there was a school strike in Harlem in which blacks and Puerto Ricans came into the schools declaring themselves responsible for the education of their children, and it was a very successful strike. I was there, because I got nieces and nephews in school. It was broken by the United Federation of Teachers and by the city because they did not want, first of all, that those billions of dollars, which is, the, which is the education system, it is a billion dollar business, they did not want that money controlled by blacks and Puerto Ricans. And that is what we were up against, and it's not the past, and there's no point in blaming black people for it. I mean, there you go. He just, it, there's something about the later uh, speeches. There's this confidence and anger of an older gentleman. Um, you know, at this point in his life, he lived between France and, and New York, between Paris and New York. Uh, he got a taste of what it's like to live in a country, in a city where the color of his skin is not a big deal. Um, so you could hear like the, you know, he knows, he knows that this is an American problem. But he still calls himself an American because he wants to fix it. And when he talks about the education problem, it's so crazy. I mean, I was getting into a quote-unquote um, internet spat with somebody who was talking shit about the city I live in and their schools. And I was like, hey, not all the schools are bad here. But the reality is, in the poorer parts of cities, the schools are a disaster, but you can go to a nicer area where there's more affluent people and the public schools there are night and day different. They have better teachers. They have better facilities. They have all of the things that you would want your child to have. They're safer and it's not because the people are safer. It's because they get more money. And that's what it comes down to. You know, so we're, we're, we're creating these school systems that are just pumping out criminals because the kids are left behind from the get-go. They're not given a fair chance in these poorer cities. And uh, again... What is it going to take for us to recognize the system that is oppressing people in our country? And when are we going to realize that these people that we are, we are oppressing, um, when we do that, it's not them that we're hurting. 
It's the country. It's us, because the country is us. We, we, the people, are the United States. And when we shit on one group, we're shitting on ourselves. So we need to fucking realize that. We need to, un- we need to take ownership of this and take pride in propping up all of our schools. Giving all of our kids a fair shake. Because guess what? The fact remains that the people that excel out of these poorer communities become our icons. They become our LeBron James. They become our Barack Obama. They, you know what I'm saying? They become our James Baldwin. These are the people who become the top of everything. And the amount of, uh, of work that they had to do to get there is unfathomable. But imagine if all of their peers from where they came from were given a fair shake and just think of all of the people that have gotten wrapped up in a bad drug deal or drug crime or some bullshit thing like that, that we never got to experience because they got locked up and thrown into a system uh, uh, that has oppressed them and they were never able to reach their potential because they were just dealt the wrong set of cards based on where they were born and what color their skin is. Think about all of the, the amazing talent and the amazing leaders, the amazing physicists, the amazing inventors that have been thrown away simply because we're afraid to face the reality of what we did as a country. And if we could just fucking heal and deal with our scars and wear those scars like you would from falling off a bike and going, yeah, that was that time I fucked up and fell off the bike. And you get on with it, it hurts, everyone knows it, and you deal with the pain. I mean, shit. No, we're talking about the life and death of this country. And one of the things, I'm not joking when I talk about White History Week. One of the things that most afflicts this country is that white people don't know who they are or where they come from. That's why you think I'm a problem. But I am not the problem. Your history is. And as long as you pretend you don't know your history, you're going to be the prisoner of it. And there's no question of you liberating me because you can't liberate yourselves. We're in this together. And finally, when white people, quote unquote white people, talk about progress in relationship with black people, all they are saying and all they can possibly mean by the word progress is how quickly and how thoroughly I become white. I don't want to become white. I want to grow up, and so should you. Thank you. I mean. It, it, it's, you know, when you, when you listen to someone like James Baldwin speak today through the lens of what's been going on and you have half a heart and you have some common sense about you, you can't help but think like, how fucking dumb are we to 
waste away so much time and not have acted sooner when the answers were given to us years ago. I mean, that was 30, over 30 years ago and nothing's changed. Like nothing significantly has changed. I'm trying, I'm trying my hardest. I, I'm seeking these things out as a way to deal with this pain because I, I can't, I can't have this turn into another like school shooting type of situation where it happens so often that you start forgetting the names. I don't want to forget Jacob Blake's name. I don't. He didn't even, you know what I'm saying? He didn't do anything. He was literally going to his car where his kids were. I think I'm going to um just let this uh let this podcast finish with some more of uh, James Baldwin's words since he's been doing a lot of the quality talking here and I've just been um hurt uh yeah I know that we have we got uh, two to confront, I think, the fact that if we don't share the earth, we may, we blow it, we're going to blow it up. I think we have to rethink everything we think is true now. Because it's not going to be true tomorrow. The, the, the question supposes a future which is more or less coherent and which is safe. But in fact, the moral choice we have yet to make does not guarantee that anyone in this room has a future. And the only way we can accommodate ourselves to that is to rethink and recreate our vocabulary, which includes the human race. We are all in this, in this room at the mercy of, whether or not we know it, the European vision of the world. And that vision is obsolete.